Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you're here to join us in the study of God's Word. We'll be taking a break from our sermon series in Philippians this morning due to the inclement weather and online service. Um, and Lord willing, we'll be completing out Philippians next week when uh, the entire congregation can gather together. This morning, instead, we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts. And turn with me to Acts chapter 8, verses 25 through 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 25 through 40. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem, and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotas, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So reads the word of the living God. And this morning, as we take a look at what's going on here in Acts chapter 8, First, it's crucial that we understand the context, because we're just diving into this text all the way into chapter 8. The Apostle Peter had just given his first, and since Christ's death, the first public sermon. And Peter tells the people gathered that the signs and wonders they're seeing are not from the Apostles, but these powers were given to them by the Holy Spirit. And that... These powers came from the God of the universe, and this is the Messiah that their ancestors prophesied about, the one their parents 
and grandparents and great-grandparents had waited for and longed to see. Peter tells them that this man was Jesus. And this is the same Jesus they had just nailed to a cross and put to death. Yet despite the betrayal of the people that Jesus had come to save, death couldn't hold him down. Peter lets them know that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. And we're told in the book of Acts that Peter's audience was pierced to the heart, and they wanted to know what they should do now. His response, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and your sins will be forgiven. Many responded to this call and surrendered their lives over to Christ and were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And with this power inside of them, they were at work building God's kingdom. We're told that these people began selling their property and possessions and sharing with anyone as they might have need. They were all continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The Lord had a grip on their hearts, souls, and minds, and we're told and asked what the result of this is. The Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. God's church had taken root, and it was beginning to spread like a wildfire that no one can put out. And unfortunately, not everyone responded to Peter's message in a positive manner. While one group's hearts were being drawn towards Christ and all that he did for them, the other group's hearts were hardened and tried to fight back. Acts chapter 4 tells us that Peter and John were in prison and then quickly released and commanded to no longer speak the name of Jesus Christ. Despite threats from the government, they kept on proclaiming the name of Jesus. And a very short time later, they were again in prison, but God sent an angel to bust them out of prison. They were commanded to go to the temple and proclaim all that Christ had done, and they were obedient. Yet the authorities quickly found them again because they weren't exactly laying low. The apostles were brought back in front of the council, and the council decided that they would see what would become of this Christian movement. They were beaten, commanded not to speak the name of Jesus, and then released. And they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And up to this point in the narrative of Acts, the church in Jerusalem had definitely faced some mild persecution, but nothing like what was about to come. With the church growing larger and larger, the twelve apostles could no longer keep up with teaching and trying to fulfill the needs of the people. So they delegated authority for different roles throughout the church. We're told in the book of Acts that they chose seven men, all were of good reputation and full of the spirit and wisdom. And one of the seven chosen was a man named Stephen. We're told that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and was boldly spreading the good news and performing many miraculous things in front of the people. But there was a group who developed a hatred for him. So they started rumors that Stephen was speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Word of this got to the elders and the scribes, and they brought him to the council, where his speedy trial ended in the people stoning him to death. And Stephen's death was the starting point 
of severe persecution on the church. Acts tells us that the members of the church in Jerusalem began to scatter across the regions of Judea and Samaria, and as they went, they were proclaiming the word. And this is where we find Philip. He made his way to Samaria and began to proclaim the name of Jesus there. The Samaritans were amazed and rejoiced when they heard what Christ had done for them. News of Philip's flourishing ministry sped back, spread back to Jerusalem, and Peter and John were sent to assist in the spreading of the gospel in Samaria. They remained there until they had thoroughly spoken and testified what Jesus had done, and then they began to make their way back to Jerusalem, preaching to all the villages that were along the way. Yet as we see in our text, God had different plans for Philip. An angel of the Lord spoke to him and told him to get up and go to the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. And the author of Acts, Luke, lays out Philip's reaction so quickly that we almost pass right over it. Philip receives a command from the Lord, so he got up and went. It doesn't get a whole lot more cut and dry than that. God told him to do something, so he obeys. And as I was studying this passage of scripture, I asked myself, what would my reaction have looked like in this circumstance? Would I, like Philip, simply get up and go? Or would I be tempted in Philip's situation to ask, why? Why leave the successful ministry that I have going on in Samaria? Why go to the less traveled desert road? That makes no sense, Lord. I think what you meant to say is that you at least want me to go to the main road where it's more likely that I'll actually run into someone. The desert road just makes no sense. Don't worry, God. I know what you mean. I'll go to the main road. Far too often, like this, we're tempted to question God or try to meet Him halfway. And we are convinced that God is pleased with these actions. Well, He's not. And we can also get caught up thinking that God needs to tell us every detail of His plan before we obey. But we're wrong there as well. Philip realizes that God's plan is God's plan. It's not Philip's responsibility to double check what God is trying to do. Hey, uh, excuse me, God. Are you sure this is what you meant to say? Because I think I have a better idea that makes a whole lot more sense. We don't see Philip doing this. He's not attempting to meet God halfway. He doesn't refuse to move until he gets all the details. And he doesn't use his circumstances as an excuse to disobey the Lord. Luke doesn't tell us exactly where Philip is located when the angel of the Lord calls him to go out to the desert. He could still be in Samaria, or he could be on his way back to Jerusalem. But either way, we don't see Philip reminding God that he already has this successful ministry going on in Samaria. Nor is he dragging his feet because now he finally gets to minister alongside Peter and John. No, God tells him to go, so he got up and he went. And this begs the question, 
why don't we respond like this all the time? And granted, I understand that the Lord isn't normally telling us exactly what he needs to do by sending a messenger to us. But at the same time, do we not have the word of God, which tells us what we are to do and how we are to live? Do we not have the Holy Spirit, which God's given us as a helper to lead and guide us? Can we not turn to the Lord in prayer and ask for His guidance and direction through His Word and through His Holy Spirit? The Lord will make it clear to us what He wants us to do. The question for us is will we get up and go? And as we continue along in our text, we pick up in verse 27. Acts chapter 8, verse 27. So Philip got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. We see here that Philip faithfully obeyed God. He traveled to this desert road not knowing why he was sent or what he was to do. And the Lord had him covered. God had a purpose and a plan for him. And the Spirit tells him, go up and join his chariot. And once again, we should closely examine and follow Philip's response. Philip ran up. Two simple short words, ran up. But they show the heart of Philip. He was eager to do God's work and was quick to obey. Verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian said, well, How could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And as we're reading this, we can almost hear the frustration in the Ethiopian's response. Who could understand this without someone else's help? He was stuck in one section of scripture and most likely read it over and over again but just couldn't figure out on his own what it meant. And I know for myself that I've felt this frustration before, getting hung up on something that just makes no sense. Far too often, though, our reaction is to just shrug our shoulders and throw our scrolls back on the shelf to collect dust. Instead, what we should be doing is digging deeper into God's Word and asking questions so that we can understand what He's trying to teach us. And this story in Acts can help us be confident in this very thing. For as we look back and see God's intervening hand in the Ethiopian's life, it reassures us that we can be confident that the Lord will reveal to us the truth of His Word if we turn to Him and ask for help. God knows when you have difficulties and questions, so don't be afraid to ask Him to show you the truth. The story also helps us to realize that if God has begun a good work in you, like he had in the Ethiopian, he will see it through all the way to the finish. 
It's clear that God was already at work in the Ethiopian's life. Otherwise, he would have had zero interest in traveling to Jerusalem to worship, nor would he have acquired a scroll or been reading it. God had started the work, and now God sent Philip out into the desert to the front door of this guy's chariot as he's reading this exact passage in Isaiah that points to Jesus to help further his work in this man's life. As we return to our text, we pick up where the eunuch is reading. He's reading a passage from Isaiah 53, which says, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And after reading through this with Philip, the eunuch asked, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? The Ethiopian desperately wants to know who. Of whom does the prophet say this? Who is this passage talking about? And upon hearing this question, we can almost picture Philip sitting up real quick and his eyes lighting up. You want to know who this is talking about? Just sit back in your chariot and I'll let you know. Continuing on in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And what an awesome experience this would have been for Philip. Here he is, wandering down a desert road, unsure of why he's there. And God has this amazing task waiting for him. Yet, he would have missed out on it if he wasn't faithful and obedient to God's call in his life. It's so easy for us to read biblical narratives like this one and wonder why we never get to experience events like this. Why can't I have an experience like Philip where I can so clearly see God's powerful hand at work? Why can't I be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King David, Esther, Ruth, or Rahab? Lord, why don't I get to see stuff like this? Far too often, we're, it, we're too quick to ask these type of questions, yet at the same time, we're slow to step out by faith and trust in the Lord. We don't move our feet unless we know every detail of what God wants us to do, or we try to meet Him halfway. And sadly, in doing so, we rob ourselves of opportunities in which we might see the Lord working. Don't let this be any of us. When you hear God say, go, get up, and go. Also, as you look to our text, did you take notice of where Philip started in his presentation of the gospel? Right from the text, it says, Philip started beginning from this scripture. He meets the Ethiopian where he's at. He doesn't act like this question is too simple or too complicated. He doesn't start with some other passage or pull a track out of his pocket and recite it to the man. He starts with the passage that the Ethiopian has questions about and uses that as a doorway to preach Jesus to him. And while each of us might have a favorite memory verse that we love returning to when presenting the gospel or a memorized route that we travel down, we can learn here from Philip's simple approach. His starting point was the passage 
that the Ethiopian had questions about. He doesn't bypass his question and just start preaching at the guy, nor does he make a beeline back to John 3.16 because the gospel was mentioned. Philip answers the man's question and starts in Isaiah. And what an amazing, vivid passage as a starting point. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And I know if this was the first time I read this, I would be dying to know who also. Who would do this for me? Who could do this for me? And Philip lets him know that the who is Christ Jesus. Jesus did all, Jesus did all of these things for all those that would be redeemed. Jesus was punished for our sins. By Jesus' affliction, afflictions we are healed. God caused all our sins to fall on Jesus. He didn't defend himself through his affliction because he was innocent. And his affliction was the very reason he came down to earth. Jesus died, but he didn't stay there. He rose again. He died so that we can have life. And we see the Ethiopian's response starting in verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. And as we read this, it calls to mind the different times when we've all been headed in one direction, but then something pops up that totally alters our path. Picture the scene, you have our bags packed, the front seats loaded up with enough snacks to feed a small town for a week, you have a drink in a cup holder, radio station on, and your GPS is set. Then as you get rolling down the highway, construction forces you to halt and take a different route. You had all of these things planned, but those orange signs force you to alter your path. Well, this is exactly what just happened to this Ethiopian eunuch. He had his chariot set on cruise control back to Ethiopia, but then he hears something that totally alters his path. He hears about Jesus. And he doesn't just continue going on his journey like everything is the same, because it's not. He just received news that has the power to save his life, and he just can't continue down the same path that he was on. He wants to know how to receive Jesus' free gift, and he wants to take the next step to be baptized. He recognizes that this was everything he was searching for and so much more, and he reacts just like the man in the parable of the merchant who was looking for fine pearls. The merchant is searching and searching, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he sells all that he has to buy it. 
And likewise, the eunuch isn't letting this opportunity pass him by. He stops the chariot, professes that he believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is baptized, and goes on his way rejoicing. And right here, what a clear and concise picture we have of the reaction that Jesus will bring into the lives of all those who have truly believed in him. He will change the path that you were headed on, and he will send you on your way rejoicing. And throughout this whole narrative, we've been able to see Philip's submissive and eager spirit, willing and ready to serve the Lord. Philip knows it's his job to obey God and share the word to others, and he knows that he must leave the results up to God. And Philip's actions here remind us that we too can find peace in this same thing. It's not up to Philip or to you or to me whether or not someone goes to heaven or doesn't go. That decision belongs to God. We're simply called to obey and share his good news. Philip was faithful and obedient to the Lord's calling. And we can clearly see here, in so doing, he and others were blessed. Philip realized that when he surrendered his life over to the Lord, that he surrendered his plans and his time over to the Lord as well. So when the angel of the Lord told him to get up and go, he got up and went. When the Spirit of the Lord told him to go up and join the chariot, he ran up. And as the author of Acts looks at these events from a wide angle, he covers a lot of ground very quickly. And it helps us to recognize that God's hand is clearly moving throughout this entire event. God is directing and leading both Philip and the Ethiopian to where he wants them to be. And we know from the text that the Ethiopian accepted the Lord, and this would have been more than enough to lead Philip out onto this desert road. Yet we can also take note from our text the impact that this one man would have been able to have on so many others. He worked for the Queen of Ethiopia and was greatly trusted by her. We're told that he was in charge of all of her treasure. So, in Philip's eyes, while he might have traveled way out to the desert just for one man, through God's eyes, he would have been able to see the one man that would have a possibility to impact a whole country. God is in control, and he has a plan. And this is how our passage this morning opened up, and it ends the same way. Verses 39 through 40. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. But Philip found himself in Azotas, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Philip finished the task that God sent him on. And God miraculously sent him to another city where he was able to keep on preaching the gospel. God's in control of it all, and he will accomplish his plans. The question for you and I is, will we be faithful and obedient to his directing in our lives? Will we, like Philip, have an eager heart that's ready to go wherever God sends us? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, come to you now and just thank you once again for the time that we have to gather to hear the teaching of your word, Lord, <clears throat> to praise you, to worship you, and just to hopefully reflect on these things that we've seen in your word and think about them in our own lives, Lord. Uh, think about the <clears throat> all the opportunities you've given us individually and as a church to share your word, Lord. We thank you for your leading and your guidance. Uh, we pray that we would be quick to obey and slow to question, Lord. Uh, we, would, we would be confident that your leading and your guiding would come to know and recognize your voice. And that once you're sure, we are sure that you're telling us to go somewhere, that we would follow the example of Philip, where he simply got up and went. Pray that you put into each of us and renew again a spirit that's eager and willing and ready, uh, not only to get up and go, but to, to run up, Lord, uh, to be eager to do your work. We thank you for these things. Uh, we thank you that you're in control and you have a plan. Please help us to come alongside you in that work, and that as we do so, we just trust that our own lives will be blessed and will be a blessing to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may stand up. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose, come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue.